people are being dismissed. Children can go back to the back. While you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. My hope is that every time the Word of God is opened uh, behind this pulpit, it'll be a help to you. One pastor was greeting folks at the door after the service, and a woman said, Pastor, that was a very good sermon. And he says, oh, he says, I have to give all the credit to the Holy Spirit. And she said, well, it wasn't that good. (laughs) But I hope at least it's a help, amen? We live in a world where it's easy to become very cold-hearted, insensitive, and unsympathetic. We're constantly being bombarded with the news of some tragedy uh, that's happening somewhere around the world. Hardly a day goes by that we don't see a news bulletin or uh, breaking news of something bad that has occurred, violent acts. Today, of course, we see the news coming out of two major world wars that are going on and uh, see a lot of that uh, dead bodies on the streets and friends and loved ones grieving. These are all too familiar sights for us every time we turn on the television. So how do we cope with the pain and suffering that's going on in the world today? How do we learn to control our emotions? And many of us, we kind of turn it off. We numb ourselves. We don't allow ourselves to dwell too long on the negative. We turn on or we turn the channel on the television and escape into a world of sitcoms and, well, now Hallmark movies. Let me save you some time with Hallmark movies. Here's the plot, okay? A career woman from New York who's engaged to the wrong man moves to a small town for a short while to rescue her family business, where she meets a handsome local bachelor who wears a flannel shirt. He harvests maple syrup for a living and makes $50 a year. He teaches her about the true meaning of Christmas. It starts snowing, they kiss, and there's a dog involved at some point. (laughs) You say, which movie is that? That's all of them. That's every single one of them. So we numb our senses and our minds with entertainment and distraction. In the process, though, we can become very skeptical, or we can become also merciless and uncaring about those that are around us that are hurting. I want to read our verse today as we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in verse 7. The Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Today I want to speak to you on mercy for the merciful. Let's pray. We ask you, Father, to use this word, and, and I know we just read a short verse now, and we'll look at more scriptures as it goes, but use your word to Break up the fallow ground of our heart, Lord. Help us to become a soft and a caring people for those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In our text, Jesus addresses the cruel and heartless attitude of not only that society, but today's as well. We are called on to be merciful. The Beatitudes that we've looked at so far, they're teaching us how to live. And this verse, along with those that we've already read, kind of uh, give us the answer on that need that we all have to be truly happy. But the prescriptions that the Sermon on the Mount gives us for happiness, again, to remind you, blessed means happy. The prescriptions that this sermon gives us for happiness is not the same as the prescriptions the world gives us. 
The world places undue value on earthly possessions and position. The beatitudes that Jesus gives us place a value on spiritual graces. I was standing in the back this morning, and Brother Jeremy is teaching our kids. I appreciate them, their faithfulness in doing that. But uh, he said, he, I asked him how his week was going or something like that, and he pulled up his pant leg and he showed me he's got a big bruise on his uh, ankle there, a calf. He said, a calf kicked me this week. And uh, so knowing what I was going to talk about today, I said, did you show kindness and mercy and love to this calf? He says, no, I kicked him back. Uh, that's what we want to do, right? When somebody hurts us or somebody's coming at it, we want to kick them back. But the Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to look at our responsibility to be merciful and then the reward that comes from being merciful. Uh, as our responsibility, Jesus here continues to confront the external with a focus on the internal. What really matters is on the inside much more than what is on the outside. Can I tell you, a Christian is something before he does something. And what he is is more important than what he does. What he does comes from what he is. And so if we only put the focus on the doing, then that, will never, that won't be sustainable until we change what we are on the inside. And so we're, we're not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity is meant to control us. Our lives are to be dictated by the Holy Spirit and the principles of the Word of God. Now, the first four Beatitudes that we've talked about so far deal with how we see ourselves before God. And this fifth Beatitude is starting to show us, or it begins to reach outward. It's going from the inside to the outside. The fifth beatitude is a result or the fruit of the first four beatitudes. Remember I said as we started this that the beatitudes build on one another. Uh, they're not standalones. They, they actually uh, produce each other. So when we recognize our spiritual bankruptcy, blessed are the poor in spirit. When we mourn over that spiritual condition, blessed are those who mourn. When we in meekness realize that we are no better than anyone else, Blessed are the meek. When we, uh, when all that there creates for us as it should a hunger and thirst for righteousness in our souls for the things of God. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. When all those things happen, then we tend to be merciful to others. When we see ourselves the way that we should and we see God the way that we should, we tend to be merciful. The world places a premium on earthly positions and possessions. Jesus places a premium on spiritual character. And that's what this sermon is all about. This is how you achieve true joy. It's how you find fulfillment. Joy comes as a condition of the inner man, not the circumstances surrounding the outer man. If you are waiting for happiness in your life by changing your outward circumstances, friend, you'll never find it and it'll never find you. It comes from an inward uh, attitude. Because happiness is a byproduct of doing right. Those who seek happiness for happiness' sake never find it. Read. Actually, don't read People Magazine. Just take my word for it. They're not finding it, okay? They're looking for it, but they're not finding it. I find it interesting that in the New Testament we see this. Paul, while he's in under house arrest, we heard about this last week as the preacher was preaching through Philippians, but while he's essentially in prison, he experienced true joy. He talks about he was content with where he was. 
while at the same time Nero, the emperor of Rome, is living in luxury in a palace, and he is miserable, even though he's living in luxury. And times have not changed all that much. Today, those with great wealth and position and power are often some of the most unhappy people in the world. While you have those in lowly positions with meager possessions that seem to have the corner on happiness. In this fifth beatitude, Jesus tells us, if you want to be happy, be merciful. Be merciful to others. So what does it mean to be merciful? Let me first tell you what I do not believe being merciful is. Being merciful does not mean that we tolerate wicked behavior. It does not mean that we ignore it. The United States has, has uh, really, I believe, been morally weakened because we are putting up with all sorts of perversions today. That is not being merciful. The, this toleration of sin that we allow in our society has nothing to do with love or compassion. I tire, even in our own town here, uh, of the types of things that many of our churches are putting out that we accept you how you are, your lifestyle, nothing has to change, and we just we accept everything about you. That is not compassion. It is not compassion to leave a person in his sin. And it is not merciful to ignore evil. And so that's not part of what merciful is. In the Bible, uh, Saul spared King Agag because he was being merciful. He thought he was showing him leniency. But Samuel did not consider this an act of mercy because King Agag was a wicked, cruel man that God had said needed to die. And so he said, the, uh, Samuel said to Agag in 1 Samuel 15, 33, as, the, as thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And he executed Agag before the Lord. Samuel was the one who demonstrated mercy so that Agag's cruelty would no longer be a threat to children. It was Samuel who uh, was merciful to innocent victims. And, and I think we've got that a little backwards in our society today. You've got people that will hold a candle for a person on death row for murdering a bunch of people while you have the same people that are all for killing babies in the womb. There's a little backwards in there, isn't it? And so let's make sure we understand what merciful is. So what does it mean to be merciful? Uh, well, first of all, there's a passion to being merciful. Uh, the, the, the very word translated merciful is a very passionate word. It means to have mercy on, to support the afflicted, to give help to the wretched, to rescue the miserable. It is contrary to everything harsh and cruel and oppressive. To be merciful is to have pity on those who are in need. This pity is to be shown regardless of the merit of the person. Uh, merit is not involved in mercy. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Just as merit is not involved in grace. Uh, in other words, when you show mercy, you do not evaluate the recipients to see if they're worthy of your, of your mercy and your grace. Aren't you glad God didn't do that to you? Amen. In, other, in the Old Testament, there are several words for mercy. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 11, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. The word for mercies there, Hebrew word is racham, which means womb. I find that interesting. This refers to the affection that God has for us like a mother to her uh, baby. David is asking God to surround him with the kind of warmth and protection that a child enjoys in his mother's womb. What a picture that is. As sinners, 
We deserve the punishment for sin. We all deserve to go to a place called hell because we're sinners. When we repent and seek the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, in mercy, He saves us by His wonderful grace. Mercy withholds punishment uh, from offenders who deserve it. God showed mercy in sparing us from the judgment that we deserve, and He did it through the saving work of Jesus Christ. But mercy still, it's still allowed for the punishment because there's also justice. Justice is a part of God's character as much as mercy is. So there had to be justice for sin. It wasn't doing what we do in our society and just let the criminal go free for nothing. No, no. Our sin had to be paid for, but he put that payment on his son, Jesus Christ, and then in mercy he could pardon us through his sacrifice. What a blessing that is. These two attributes, mercy and grace, they're close in definition, so they're often equated as the same, but I want to differentiate them just a little bit. Grace is associated with men in their sin. Mercy is associated with men in their misery. Mercy and grace are found many times in Scripture together, but they're not exactly the same. Mercy deals with the symptoms of sin. Grace deals with the problem of sin itself. Mercy offers relief from punishment. Grace offers pardon from the crime. Grace comes first, removing sin, and then mercy eliminates the punishment. Mercy pities us, grace pardons us. With mercy, I do not get what I deserve, which is hell. With grace, I get what I don't deserve, which is heaven. Mercy is more than just forgiving someone. Mercy leads to forgiveness, but mercy is bigger than forgiveness. Even bigger than mercy is love. Love and mercy go together, but they too are not the same. Love is bigger than mercy. Mercy is bigger than forgiveness. Because love goes further, it does more than just show mercy. Love acts out of affection. Mercy acts out of a need. You can have mercy without love, but I don't believe you can have true love without mercy. Because love is more... We're going to talk about the Good Samaritan in a minute. Good Samaritan didn't love the guy laying on the road, but he had mercy on him, didn't he? We can have mercy without love, and so, uh, but I don't believe we can be the other way around. Mercy responds to a problem. Love acts when there is no problem. Love is constant. Mercy is reserved for times of trouble. I, this uh, love, I believe, is the engine that drives the vehicle of mercy. The love of God is the catalyst behind His mercy toward us. In fact, the Bible says the very nature of God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. I'm simply saying if you have the love of God, if you understand the grace of God, and you understand that you are undeserving and I'm undeserving, then you'll have mercy with others as well. Mercifulness involves an attitude of pity, caring for the afflicted. To be merciful is to have pity and compassion for those who are need, in need. This pity is to be shown regardless of the merit of that person, again. This brings us to the second aspect of mercy. Because, because pity really is only the beginning of mercifulness. Uh, you can have pity and not mercy. We're going to see the, uh, just a demonstration of that in just a minute, but you can look at somebody have pity and never demonstrate real mercy. But having pity is the easy part. Now, I understand some people are so selfish and so bitter and just nasty enough in their character that they don't even have pity in the first place. But pity is the beginning of mercy. And then that brings us to the second aspect, 
performance. Not only is there a passion involved in mercy, but there's a performance. Mercy involves more than just an attitude of pity. It demands a response. A merciful spirit is not uh, just a frame of mind. It's a call to action. A merciful spirit does not feel pity and compassion and then just lie dormant like some hibernating bear. Uh, it does something about it. Mercifulness does what it can uh, to relieve the miseries of mankind. Having pity and compassion and doing nothing helps no one. And yet we do this all the time. This is what James talked about in James chapter 2, verse 15. If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of uh, and uh, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you gave him not those things which are needful to the body. What doth a prophet? But pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction to keep himself unspotted from the world. He, he asks a very good question. Somebody comes and they've got desperate need. They're hungry. They're naked. They don't have what they need. Their basic needs met. And we say, hey, and we are able to meet the need, but we say, hey, praying for you. That's a good escape, isn't it? Praying for you. And Bible says we don't do anything to meet their need. What good is it? That's pity without mercy. And uh, then it says that pure religion undefiled is to visit the fatherless and the widows. This word visit uh, comes from a word that means to look upon, to inspect, with the eye to help or to benefit. The word in indicates involvement. In fact, the same word is used in Matthew 25, 36, when Jesus said, I was sick and you visited me. Now, the Hebrew word for mercy, uh, we, we saw one already, there's several, but uh, the word that's translated most often to mercy is uh, hesed. It's a fascinating word. It's translated 149 times in the Old Testament as mercy. It's translated 40 times as kindness and 30 times as uh, loving kindness. It does not mean simply to sympathize with a person. It does not mean just to feel sorry for someone in trouble. A hesed or mercy means the ability to get inside the other person's skin, basically. To see things with their eyes, to feel things with their feelings, to think things with their mind. The idea is to give uh, help to the afflicted, to rescue the helpless. It is compassion in action. This is so much more than just a wave of emotional pity. It involves the mind and the will. It, it signifies a sympathy, not only uh, from the outside, but one that comes from within. It is achieved with a deliberate identification with the other person. Listen, until we see others and feel the things that they feel and see what they see, we're not going to be able to have true mercy for them. In fact, this word sympathy is derived from two Greek words I found this week. Soon, which means together with, and pathos, which means to feel or to suffer. So sympathy then is feeling with the other person, literally going through what they're going through. Mercy is not simply feeling compassion, but showing compassion. It is not sympathizing only, but giving a helping hand. Mercy gets involved in the needy person's life. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Brings us to the third uh, point about mercy. There's a passion, there's a uh, an involvement, a, a, uh, a performance, and then we see a price. The merciful person is willing to leave their comfort zone to meet the needs and relieve the burdens of others. This mercy costs. It spends unselfishly on others. 
It is a willingness to inconvenience oneself to help another. I think of the Good Samaritan and the man he rescued. Uh, when he came to this man, it cost him something. It cost him his time. It cost him his ride because the man drove his donkey to the next town. It cost him his money. But one thing you never see is this uh, good Samaritan coming to the man who was beaten and left uh, on the side of the road. He never comes and checks his qualifications. Never says, hey, where are you from? What do you do? What church do you go to? Presbyterian. Ha, good luck. Uh, he doesn't check whether he deserves his help. Okay? He just helps him. He has pity on him, and that pity led to having mercy on him. And uh, what a blessing that is. No, uh, mercy is given without merit. To be merciful, you need to be ready to pay a price, sometimes even a sacrificial price. It does not matter whether they deserve it or not, because that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you and me. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve mercy. And yet in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together by Christ, uh, by which you, by grace ye are saved. Just like Jesus, the merciful person is willing to meet another person's need, not vetting them to see if they're worthy of it, just having mercy. True mercy is given without merit. It is not earned. Uh, years ago, the French army was about to execute a soldier for falling asleep on duty. The soldier's mother was a widow. She only had this one son, and she was devastated at the thought of losing her only son. She approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied to her, This young man has committed an offense, and justice demands his death. The mother says, But I didn't ask for justice. I asked for mercy. Napoleon replied to her again, Ma'am, your son does not deserve mercy, which she, to which she said, Sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. And so Napoleon said, Well, then I will have mercy. And he spared this woman's son. I thank God that we have mercy in Jesus Christ. We do not deserve it, but yet it is freely given. Can we not then give mercy to others? So there's a passion there's a performance, there's a price to pay, and that brings us to the pursuit. This mercy pursues those who need it. It is an aggressive mercy. I'm simply saying that merciful people, they keep their ears to the ground, they watch to see uh, for areas to show their mercy. It's difficult for some people to be merciful because we don't want to get involved. Most people, I would say today, don't want to get involved in the problems of others because we have enough problems of our own. And we don't want to get involved in other people's problems. That's almost the motto of our society, especially when a crime has been committed. Don't get involved. Most people are so wrapped up in their own issues. They're completely uh, unconcerned with the feelings of everyone else. We are so self-obsessed today. If we were cows, we'd say me instead of moo. That's how self-obsessed we are. In construction, the I-beam is the strongest beam. It's also the strongest temptation for a Christian to be so full of I that we're blinded to anyone else uh, but our own feelings. And you can, do, you can block out the sun with just a dime if you hold it close enough. And we, 
we, uh, we're so obsessed with ourselves, we can't see past ourselves to other people's needs. People often block out the pain and needs of others. They have pity, but only from a distance. They stay in the bleachers. They just watch. They don't get involved. They don't get in the game. Uh, they don't want to be involved in other people's pain and suffering. It might cost them something, and indeed, mercy does cost you something sometimes. Take, for instance, a man named Hugo Tail Yaks. He was a homeless man in New York City. He saved a woman who was being attacked by a knife-wielding mugger. Instead, he got stabbed when he was trying to save her. And I have just a short little video I'd like to show you. If you can throw that up there, Brother Kirk, and just an illustration of what I'm talking about. So he laid bleeding and dying on the street after committing a heroic act and no one cared enough to even call 911 until about two hours had passed. And I wonder how many times we pass by those that are desperately in need, that are in deep sorrow, that desperately need somebody just to have a little mercy on them and care for them. Will you just walk by those that are in need or will you pursue mercy? Because that's what a real merciful person does. They pursue it. It may take you out of your comfort zone. It probably will. It may cost you something. It probably will. But blessed are the merciful, the Bible says, for they shall obtain mercy. I thank God that Jesus did not leave us laying on the side of the road bleeding. Uh, he literally got involved in the needs of mankind. The Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. He got involved in our life. He came to where we were. His mercy pursued us. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Uh, he came to where we were. He stepped into our pain. He felt what we felt. He lived how we live. The real meaning of mercy is that we can look on failure and still see a future. And that's what Jesus Christ saw in you and me. And then we see the reward for being merciful in closing. The reward in this fifth beatitude is that they shall obtain mercy. Let me say that the obtaining of mercy here is not talking about salvation of a person's soul. Our salvation is not dependent on showing mercy. Uh, the Bible is clear that salvation is of grace uh, it is freely given by Him. God gives grace because it is needed, not because it is merited. That's the whole point of this. The Sermon on the Mount does not tell us how to be saved. The Sermon on the Mount tells saved people how to live. And that's what this is about. Talking about your life. A Christ-like spirit looks on uh, for others to have mercy on. 
There is never a moment in our lives, friend, when we are not in need of mercy. And God freely gives it to us. Let us then give it to others. We need to uh, have the same cry as David. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. In a small cemetery in a churchyard in England is a granite tombstone with the following inscription. John Newton, once an infidel, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he long labored to de destroy. You may not remember his name, but all of us know the song that he wrote as a testimony of his life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Was T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. We do not show mercy to obtain mercy. We show mercy because we have obtained it from the Lord. He's given it to us. Uh, and if we're, the word they, by the way, in this is the same as the other uh, that we pointed out. It, it means, it's, it's autos is the original word. It means they and they alone. Only those who show mercy will be, uh, our merciful will see mercy. We reap what we sow. If we're not, if we're merciful to others, most of the time, others will be merciful to us. Now, this is not always the case. Think about Jesus Christ, who is the epitome of mercy. And yet, the more mercy he showed, the more uh, the, the, they tried to put him out of the way in his crucifixion, uh, both the merciless government and merciless religion united to kill him. But the key in this verse that was so important for us to understand is where this mercy comes from. In this verse, God is the one guaranteeing mercy because men cannot be depended on to give it. He will see to it that the merciful experience mercy in their own lives. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 does not teach us that mercy to men brings mercy from men. It does teach us that mercy to men brings mercy from God. He's the one that promises it. If we are merciful to others, God will be merciful to us whether men are or not. And do we not need mercy every single day of our life? This is so important to understand. So how, how do we develop mercy in our life? Well, three quick ways. Number one, supplication. Ask for it. Ask God for mercy. Pray and seek it. It will open the doors of blessings wider than you can imagine. There is never a moment, as I said, in our lives when we don't need it, both from people around us and most of all from God. And uh, we ought to cry like David, be merciful in me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. And as we receive God's mercy, we can then be free with our mercy toward others. Supplication, ask for it. Secondly, study the Scriptures. The more you study the Word of God, the more you'll be encouraged to have mercy. Scripture is the great key to all these Beatitudes. We've got to be in our Bibles. The Bible has so much to do with the development of character in your life. Read Scriptures that have to do with compassion. I have a personal kind of motto when it comes to memorizing. Memorize your weakness in the Bible. Memorize whatever your weakness. If you have... a Problem with anger? Memorize verses on anger. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. All right? So memorize verses in anger. If you have a problem with lust, memorize verses on lust. If you have a problem with having mercy, memorize verses on being merciful. And it'll help you study the scriptures, supplication, and then show mercy to others. You grow in grace and mercy by practicing it. How do you do that? Willingly forgive those who have wronged you purposefully become involved with those who are hurting. 
Be kind to all that you meet, even those that are undeserving. We show mercy by praying for those without Christ. We show mercy for those Christians who are walking in disobedience. We also show mercy by proclaiming the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Mercy is one of those graces that ought to clothe us as a Christian. Ought to be all about us and identify us. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. And then he breaks it down. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have quarrel against thee, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Proverbs 14.21, he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Do you want to be happy today, friend? Be merciful. Be merciful. Be, uh, the Bible says that in uh, our text here, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Hey, we all need it. Every one of us need mercy. How do we get it? By being merciful. How do we become happy? By being merciful. Try that on this week. I challenge you, uh, it's, it's more than just hearing what the Bible has to say about it. Let's put it into action. This week, look for specific areas in which you can show mercy to someone. Maybe they won't deserve it, especially if they don't deserve it. Because you didn't, and I didn't, when God saved us, and yet he showed mercy. Let's show mercy to those around us. Find somebody at your workplace. Find a neighbor or somebody, even a, a fellow church member or churchgoer. Find somebody and show mercy to them. It'll change you and it'll bring happiness in your life that you'd have never imagined. And it'll open doors that you also, uh, it, it'll amaze you the kind of doors that'll open up for the Lord. Father, we ask.